There's a definitive moment in Jeff Rosenstock's solo career. On July 15, 2017, Rosenstock, in the middle of a set at the Pitchfork Music Festival, as the lead-in to his anti-establishment call-to-arms song, Festival Song, casually noted that the band received $7,500 to play the festival. Why this made such a big impression on so many people, I do not know, but the idea that Rosenstock, who has drifted in and out of being either ska-adjacent or in ska bands for two decades, playing the Pitchfork Festival, felt like a fever dream. Add in the fact that he came out to Weird Al's bedrock anthem and his AJJ tank top, and it all just felt wrong. Rosenstock wasn't meant to be there. He was a warped tour flunky in the arrogant sons of bitches, a basement dweller in Bomb the Music Industry, and an emo revival chess piece as a solo artist. Those elements do not lead to success nor notoriety. But Rosenstock is a different animal. He shattered every glass ceiling in his ascent to becoming a scene-bursting sensation, but before the shock drop of 2018's post, the fanfare that followed worry, and the risky jump to a label with 2015's We Cool, there's I Look Like Shit, a collection of home recordings that acts as a bridge between Rosenstock's Bomb the Music Industry days and his later solo output. It's an album of tenderness, an album of sincerity, and an album of vulnerability. But above all else, it's an art school album. You are now entering the boy zone. All are welcome, but few can hang. And one of the people that can hang is my guest today, Isaac Mormando. Isaac, how are we doing? You know, we're a mess, but we're we're doing. And that's all that matters. I think that's all you can ask for in these times. Is as long <laughs> I mean, as long as you're waking up and at least giving the day an honest try. I can't ask for much more from just about anybody. So today, your honest try is joining me on the on the Art School Albums podcast. We are going to be talking about a Jeff Rosenstock album in just a little bit. I can't believe it's taken me what, 25 or 26 <laughs> episodes to talk about Jeff Rosenstock. But before we get into the man of the hour, you know I have to. I have to know a little bit about your upbringing. What sort of sounds were in your house growing up? What sort of early music memories do you have? Well, um, I come from a very musical family, like just generations and generations back. Everyone's some kind of musician or artist or something. And so I grew up and like some of my earliest memories are of my dad and I sitting and either listening to or playing music together. And like my earliest, earliest memory, like is him uh, holding me in his lap and playing the piano with my feet. So like I, that's when I started. I was like maybe three. I don't know. Now that is adorable. That is one of the <laughs> cutest things I've ever heard. My earliest memory in life also involves music. It does not involve my feet though. It uh, oh. my earliest memory on earth is watching Sesame Street and seeing Sheryl Crow play Soak Up the Sun. Now, I don't know if that has caused me to become a huge Sheryl Crow fan later on in life. I do adore her. I don't know if those are correlated or not, but it's nice to know that early on we were on the same page with our music being, or with music rather, being early memories of our life. Now, you mentioned to me before we started recording, you are wearing a Bare Naked Lady shirt right now, you were bet they, I am. Were they a <laughs> crucial band growing up? Who were some of the first bands you really remember attaching yourself to? 
Bare Naked Ladies was absolutely crucial in my household. It still is. Yeah, I inherited this t-shirt from my mom. Um, My parents got me into them when I was very little. They're one of the first bands, again, I remember listening to. Uh, It was like them and Frank Zappa and a lot of different jazz artists. And I don't know. uh, I think the Mamma Mia soundtrack was in there somewhere. Um, Yeah, just a bunch of different stuff. I don't know. Everywhere. Yeah, you're, you're someone that seems to, at least just from how I know, you seem to pull inspiration from a lot of different sounds, but I know you as someone that has been very active in the indie slash pop punk slash punk slash Midwest emo. However way you want to decipher that scene, you have been someone since I've met you that has been very involved and very active in the scene. So when did that style of music, however you want to define it, when did that sort of enter your life? Well, it's kind of funny that you say that because I call that scene the Jeff Rosenstock scene uh, because it's kind of like the six degrees of Kevin Bacon, but it's the six degrees of Jeff Rosenstock um, with all of these emo bands. But when I was about, I think, 15, maybe 14, I started getting really into Hopalong. And that was because of this kid named Frank. Uh, he was like the the one who gave all the emo bands to all of the other emo kids in the theater program he I was, was a in. Distributor. He was he, looking he out was. people uh, maybe less fortunate than him that didn't Truly. have those tastes acquired at that age. Frank was there to say, "Hey, I'm gonna help you guys out. I'm gonna distribute my wealth a little bit." Truly. And through him, I found the front bottoms. And then that was kind of like the the explosion that I needed, like the catalyst that pushed me into Hopalong and like Kaitana and Signals Midwest and Jeff and all of that stuff. But specifically Hopalong was like the one that stuck out. And like since they're from Philly, I got really involved with like the midwest east coast scene because that has been like kind of one thing for a while now and um i'm close friends now with uh chase from dogleg so when i was about 16 i met him at a party and we've been in the same friend group for about however many years ago that was and uh so it's really cool to be able to see like my friends get big in the scene that I've been really into since I was a teenager. I was just thinking a few days ago about how dorks like us are going to be responsible for creating some sort of Philly pop punk punk documentary eventually because although it probably will not register on a seminal level the way the DC hardcore scene did in the (laughs) 1980s like when you think about it this past decade of music that has specifically come out of Philly in your Tiger's Jaws in your title fights and whoever else that has been involved in that scene and then plus all of the shows that have happened at the First Unitarian Church like that is that is a scene that is something that has mattered and just with the shape of the music industry and specifically alternative radio and i i won't go into this again but alternative radio (laughs) is just so messed up in the way that they're approaching just the sound that they're catering right now Mm -hmm. so it, it will never 
I, I don't think there's going to be a time where original Joyce Manor t-shirts are going to be selling for hundreds and hundreds of dollars the same way that an original Minor Threat tee might. But mm-hmm. when, you know, with the even hindsight that we have now, like, that was something that, that mattered, and that was a moment in time that cannot be duplicated, and I'm glad that at least I was, you know, there on the back end of it, and I was at least aware of the bands that were coming out of that scene, Hopalong being one of them. So when you hear Hopalong for the first time, what is it that strikes such a chord with you? Because, and you mentioned the Front Bottoms, they were one of those bands for me where it's like, oh my god, I've never heard anything yeah. like this before. What is it about Hopalong that spoke to you so much? Um, I think the first song I heard of theirs was um, Tibetan Pop Stars. So good. And just so good. And um, the just the timbre of her voice is like just so incredibly strong and powerful and unique. Like she reminds me of a modern Janis Joplin a little bit, which kind of caught me and like sent me into the rest of their discography. And um, I just thought that her voice was the shit and the arrangements of their music were really cool and the way that like her or the way that she tells the story vocally and lyrically like it's just nothing else does that i don't know she's very um or her technique is very roboto and like it doesn't necessarily follow the music which i think is really cool and i don't know she's just a great storyteller the rest of the band is just amazing they're great live i don't know well there's something to be said for this genre as a whole and i've said it a number of times just in general but i am sure it's come up on this podcast of the david the david berman quote of all of my favorite singers couldn't sing and that's maybe not necessarily true with someone like Hopalong, who you know the vocals there are killer but there's sort of a narrative structure that i think a lot of these bands take on and more so than anything, there's an emotion there that is oh, undeniable. Yeah. And I think, you know, I, I have friends that, that detest bands like this. I have been told that, you know, when I use air quotes, my kind of music is is bad and awful. And I don't, I don't take offense to that because, you know, I'm a mm-hmm. grown man. I'm not going to get offended by art that people don't like <laughs> um, anymore, at least. But mm-hmm. there's something to be said about a band that I know we're both fond of, a band like AJJ, who oh, yeah. some people might say Sean Barnett's not singing, but whatever <laughs> he's doing, I don't care. It, it works for me. There's an emotion yeah. there, an emotional output that I think is required to make art, and I would much rather have have that than a talent show singer that is doing everything structurally correct but is void of any emotion oh absolutely absolutely and that's something that i've really learned from this scene specifically from bands like kaitana even like and it's i'm very lucky to be good friends with augusta now but like she said that like she didn't start playing guitar until she was like in her late 20s and i think that's just fucking crazy because she's one of the most talented lyricists I've ever ever listened to and met and like I just think that um it's just crazy that all of these bands just kind of pick their shit up and play their heart out and they don't really care if they suck or not and I think that that's a huge part of the scene and like why Jeff Rosenstock is so popular because even though he does have the chops even though he's one of the best musicians I've ever heard in my life like he still just fucking yells because that's what he feels 
what a um, beautiful transition. Yeah. It's, it's like you are in the radio industry. Let's oh, pivot. Man. Let's pivot. <laughs> I know what an honor. <laughs> Let's pivot I'm so to glad Jeff I got to Real quick. So, <laughs> when did you first hear of Jeff Rosenstock? Is there a definitive memory you have of his music or his persona, his image, whatever it may be, that registers in your mind? Well, I mean, I was around right when Worry came out. So I listened to Worry and I just loved it. I sat, I waited to listen to Jeff until I had my copy of Worry in my hands. And I I bought the CD and I sat in my uh, room at the time uh, next to my little shitty CD player and I laid on the floor and I just cried because I had never listened to him before. I just wanted to listen to the CD. And I was, again, like just starting to get into that scene and I had heard of, or heard of him because of like Signals with West and all those other bands. And um, it was just a very touching moment. And I did that with every single uh, Jeff Rosenstock album. I just laid on the floor and like let it, let it hit. Um, I've done that still. I will do that next time he drops an album. But yeah, that's kind of my first experience with him. That's probably, <laughs> that's probably the best method of attack there is, is to lay on the floor and let Jeff Rosenstock trample you with his music is God, probably so- the healthiest way to go about it, quite honestly. Oh, yeah. It's uh, our generation and our uh, scenes version of uh, smoking weed and sitting in the dark listening to Pink Floyd. Well, and as you know, I do throw up the X's, so laying on the floor is a much safer way for me to ingest and inhale any sort of Jeff Rosenstock material. I'm kind of in the same boat as you. I remember not totally knowing who he was when We Cool came out, but definitely being aware of his existence shortly after I got really into We Cool and then I just wanted to know more than you discover Bomb the Music Industry and mm-hmm. that was a big band for me and then Worry coming out I just remember there being just such a ton of hype to it and it came out on Side One Dummy which was a label mm-hmm. at the time that I was it was like Side One Dummy and Run for Cover and those were the two labels that to me were putting out music that mattered and you know obviously yep. Asian Man Records because Mike Park still killing it, yeah, it uh, all these years later <laughs> uh, Mike Degree or Mike Park well on the spectrum of the six degrees of Jeff Rosenstock yeah, there's, oh, yeah. he's responsible for so much but I remember Worry coming out listening to it on a Friday morning as I went to school as I was going to school at the time, I would do a thing where I would get Chick-fil-A breakfast on Friday mornings. You could maybe say there's a moral contradiction between listening to <laughs> Jeff Rosenstock and eating Chick-fil-A, but I'm a man of contradiction, so I've made my peace with that. But And back then, it didn't matter. Back then, we didn't know all that shit. No, no, no. This was... <laughs> this was did we? Well, did we know that? I, we, I, we probably did. <laughs> I don't think we did, Caselo. You're right. But that's hey, all right. You're trying to throw me a life preserver here, and I'm going, no, I'll swim back to shore. Don't worry. I got it. <laughs> Little known secret it's about me. Right. I can't swim, so I'm currently drowning in this situation. But as soon as Worry came out, I, I was so moved by the album. It was my number two album of the decade. I had it on earlier today, and it was just like, it's it's still so good. Like I, I, I'm floored by it. It's something that eventually will be discussed at length on this podcast, whether that's with you or someone else. When you came to me 
Isaac said, you know, I want to be on the podcast. I said, absolutely. I've been meaning to have you on anyways. Let's get it done. Isaac sent me a giant list of (laughs) tons of albums that they might want to discuss. And I was not surprised to see Jeff Rosenstock's name on the list, but I was surprised to see the album slash compilation slash really just a collection of recordings known as I Look Like Shit was the one that they had listed. So as we talk about this album, it was released on October 23rd, 2012. It's a collection of home recordings from 2010 to 2012. And here's what Jeff has to say on the quote unquote records website about the album. Jeff says... Okay, so here's the deal. There's a lot of songs here. A handful of them were demos for a Bomb the Music Industry EP called I Always Dread the End of the Summer, but shit got busy and that didn't end up happening. And then a bunch of them were for a slower record I was working on working on called I'm Serious, I'm Sorry, but it wasn't really coming together terribly fast, and who the hell knows if that'll ever happen. However, I do know that if you leave a bunch of food on your kitchen counter for too long, that shit is going to get moldy, start attracting flies, and smell like shit. So instead of having these jams sit around doing nothing, here they are along with some more new songs and some covers and full noisy drum machine shitty vocals glory end quote and that right there i think sums up jeff rosenstock just incredibly well oh yeah for sure yeah so we're in a time where he's post bomb the music industry which bomb was a musical collective of sorts that had been around for nearly a decade at this point the easy comparison to draw to is the fugazi comparison because bomb was very into or demanded all ages shows were basically giving away music for free which was a novel concept at the time Did they literally were hard. they beat yeah. radiohead to that they beat radiohead to it now my feelings on radiohead will not come out in this podcast because i'm working on some <laughs> stuff regarding radiohead i'm working through my issues with them as well but yes, everything that Radiohead has done that people think is cool, someone has beaten them to it. That's the, and I, Jeff Rosenstock I, is usually that Jeff someone. It's <laughs> usually that person. If you could take one thing away from this podcast, it's that whatever Radiohead has done, somebody has already done it, and they've done a better version of it, in my opinion. Um, but this is a nice, just sort of summary of where Jeff Rosenstock is at because Bond the Music Industry at this point is has either played their final show or is just about to, but Bond the Music Industry is ending, and we don't know what a solo Jeff Rosenstock career is going to look like at this point, if it even is going to exist because there's no We Cool at the time the record was going to be called I'm Serious, I'm Sorry, which ended up being what is my favorite track on the album. There's no worry, there's no post, there's no live album. Jeff Rosenstock is a man in the unknown at this point, but rather than keeping all these songs in a vault and locking them away, and maybe, you know, we never get these songs if he doesn't just decide to throw them up on his quote-unquote record label page, uh, we get a collection of songs that are fascinating to listen to, are rough around the edges in the best way possible, and that begins with Twinkle, which is the opening track on the album. So than any song on this album, I think this song represents the bridge between Bomb the Music Industry and solo Jeff Rosenstock. There's still hints of Bomb that he hasn't totally gotten out of his system, and there's elements of Jeff that have not been fully realized at this point. But for an opener, I think it's terrific. Where do you stand on this track? 
I absolutely agree. I think that the song is the perfect uh, starting point for Jeff's solo career because, like you said, it uh, is just the perfect transition between Bomb and him um, because it starts off like with that very Ben Folds uh, esque piano, just super loud in your face, and this is this is me. This is Jeff. This is who I am. But also like. Then it goes into, like, the stuff that he had... Hold on, I have notes. Um, like, the 8-bit synth part, I think, and, like, um, he makes just all sorts of crazy shit sound, like, super fun together. Like, there's that huge orchestral sound, which I think that, like, um, definitely comes from being in a ska band. You get really good at arranging things like that. But also, like, just a bunch of sounds he hadn't used before in a way that he would use in a bomb album but that sounds like him the future if that makes sense i don't know there's something incredible about the tension that jeff rosenstock is able to create within these songs we talked about just the emotion that this genre can pull out of people and jeff obviously has it in his vocals there's raspy tones to it there's this element of sort of an out of control frenzy no matter how slow the song is it feels like jeff rosenstock could unravel and melt on the ground at any point in really any of his recordings but musically and i'm so impressed by this given the fact that these are home recordings i mean some of these songs are glorified demos, but it's not like a cheesy hardcore breakdown where the music gets slow and then everything explodes, but there's just a level of uncomfort and just this emotional build that on these good Jeff Rosenstock, these great Jeff Rosenstock tracks like Twinkle that is so present in the recordings, and I love it so much because I think you know, people that turn their nose up at the genre could easily say, oh, well, Jeff Rosenstock, you know, he fiddles around on the guitar, but he's not really much of a musician. Uh, first of all, he does all of the music for Cartoon Network's Craig of the Creek. He's a so paid, good. He's a paid so musician. Good. People and by the way, him. all of those are in home recordings, too. Yes, he's a, he's a <laughs> master of the home record in a way that really no one else is. But it's just it's incredible to see what he can do musically when we have a song like this that feels very much like what's to come. And then track two, which is a pulp cover, Dishes, he completely changes his sound, his approach, maybe some of his ideals because it feels so different than a normal Jeff song. But it's just as captivating as the opener, in my opinion. I am not Jesus, though I have the same initials. I am the man stays home and does the dishes. And how is your day? Is that woman still trying to do your head in? A man told me, beware of 33, he said. It was not an easy time for me. But I'll get through. Uh, Dishes is definitely one of my favorite songs. Um, and, like, Jeff Rosenstock's version is my favorite song. Like, one of them of all time. Like, it's number three most listened to in Spotify for me, I think. Um, after The Void by Shinobu and Hot Dad Calendar by Kaitana. It's uh, Dishes by Jeff Rosenstock by Pulp. 
Um, I was going to ask what your other two were, and then you said them, and I'm not surprised. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I probably should have been able to scope that out because more so than anybody, you are the biggest Shinobu champion on earth, and The Void is your calling card, and then Hot Dad Calendar is one of the best songs of this past decade. I mean, it's it's Oh, beautiful. hell yeah. Now, somehow, it, Dishes is, for me, it's a fine song. I don't have any issues with it. I think it would be fun to hear Jeff play it live at some point. Oh, yeah. When we're talking the pantheon of Spotify listens or the greatness of the Jeff Rosenstock discography, Dishes is not what comes to mind. So why is it such a big track for you? Honestly? Okay, so um, in order, like going from Twinkle to Dishes, uh, respectively, the way you listen to an album, um, don't shuffle your music, you asshole. Um, <laughs> you don't have to tell me that. We're doing a show on Oh, no, albums. I know. I know. I know. I wasn't talking to you. That was for the listener. <laughs> yes, you're you're <laughs> but... <laughs> subtweeting a listener right now. It's good. Yeah. I don't know who, but that was for someone. Someone needed to um, Someone needed to hear it. I think that going from the last lyric in Twinkle, which is, and life's unfair, right into dishes, that smacked me in the face the first time I heard it and made me really want to listen to dishes. So, of course, I did. I have (laughs) millions of times. (laughs) (laughs) I came, um, I saw, I conquered. This is Dishes by Pulp by Jeff Rosenstock. (laughs) Yes, yes. Um, and I think that the way that, again, like he arranged it, uh, he starts off with the saxophone um, kind of as like a synth sound. I don't think it is actual synth, but it sounds like it. Um, um, just It's just completely different from the original version. And it's so much more captivating, I think. Um, and like the buildup into like the breakdown you know how songs work Um, i'm familiar with the concept at least it's to me it's just so personal and like it's not like i don't know it doesn't have to be so extreme lyrically to be a good song and that's it's like simple and easy to think about and like his arrangement is just fucking incredible he definitely plays the narrator of the song way better than the original writer of the song did, I think. Trash, the trash, the trash. (laughs) A song that will once again make me pull up the quote-unquote record page because Jeff also says this in discussing the album. He says, The majority of this record is about fear and death. These songs are pretty much not about good times, but I actually love good times. I have a lot of really wonderful friends all over who make life worth living, and I am super lucky to have them. Fuck yeah. Thanks, guys. But when you listen to a song like The Trash, The Trash, The Trash, you would certainly look at Jeff Rosenstock as a down-on-his-luck, possibly even melodramatic bummer of a guy who was still <laughs> able to create a sing-along, a fun song, but then it's one of those that you, you open the blinds of this song, you dig a little deeper, and it's, it's a little dark. 
Absolutely. You open the blinds and cockroaches come out. Ew, you know? They are gross. They are. They are. Um, honestly, that's something I really like about this song is that, like, it's kind of dark, but it's easy to sing along to. And, like, there's the um, the kind of, like, doo wop feeling, like, with the backing vocals. Um, yeah, it's, and- it's fun. Like, there's an element of fun to the song that is... We'll, we'll talk about it a, a little bit more as we go along. It's not that this funness of Jeff Rosenstock is lost, but I don't... This feels very experimental for him. Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, I, I think The Trash is one of those songs that feels like it maybe inspired something that would later come. I think of the line, uh, well, thank God it's Monday because I'm human garbage that would come on week cool. And it mm-hmm. just feels like there's maybe a certain level of morality disposal or, or is life really worth living that Jeff mm-hmm. Rosenstock so often contemplates and yeah. as someone that is at least aware of Jeff's online persona past his music and it seems like Jeff Rosenstock is a very fun guy I find a lot of relatability and quite honestly a lot of comfort in the way that he's able to balance like no I'm friends with Chris Farron like I'm I, I like having fun like you know we we do all sorts of wacky stuff together but I also am considering you know my, my life is trash and this trash needs to be taken out it's it's a tough balance but I think Jeff Rosenstock balances it incredibly well 100%. And I love that um, being friends with Chris Farron is your idea of having a fun life. <laughs> I mean, I, am I wrong? I mean, Chris No, absolutely not. Absolutely. We're like um, 360 days away from his birthday. I've got uh, yeah. to be prepared. Chris Farron's Happy birthday is a historic Chris. event. Happy birthday, Chris, uh, for this most recent birthday you had and for the next birthday you have. And for every birthday you will ever have for the rest of time. <laughs> indeed, indeed. From there, track four is Snow Charges. There's a patch of ice shimmering under the sky On the south corner of Bushwick on the residential side And I'm afraid I'll slip Most days when it's cloudy and all nights I stay inside But it's 2.30 on New Year's Day and outside it's looking bright And I could use some chips A song that feels like a moment in time in Jeff Rosenstock's life that I Saying that he evolved past it would be putting this song down, but ultimately, with, I think, the back half of Worry into a lot of the themes that were discussed on post, whether they be about the American political climate or the social changes and the identity politics of the modern world, Jeff Rosenstock singing about staying up late and playing Zelda feels like a prior era of Jeff. Am I am I misreading this or is Jeff maybe become a little bit more serious in his songwriting? You know, I think there's a little bit of both still cuz like he does he did write 910 or 9 out of 10 however you want to say it and it's about getting stoned on the subway and being in love. Like I so think too. It's so great. Oh my god, it's so good. Um and I I definitely think that there 
is a lot of maturity um, in the progression of his discography. But I also think that, like, that kind of, like, fuck, I want to smoke a joint and sit down uh, is still there, like, in Jeff's, I don't know, repertoire of things to write about. Yeah. (laughs) Well, keeping with the theme of Jeff Rosenstock's maturity and the voice that he's using now. And I ask you this as someone who is a straight cisgender white male, the worst I know I can't help it. Um, you, you are, you are not that. Um, so none of those things. (laughs) So can you talk to me a little bit about how Jeff Rosenstock is using his voice? And he seems like, at least from my perspective, which is going to, you know, be altered or different, or maybe I'm just a little bit more oblivious to these things. Uh, how is Jeff Rosenstock using his voice to create a safer community and a safer scene? You know, um, this is something I thought a lot about since the last time we talked and I, I just, um, I think it's really important that um, Jeff Rosenstock is just constantly, constantly um, talking about political issues and donating from his merch to, like, the Trevor Project and, like, the Pulse shooting. Like, he, when he originally um, revamped those uh, gay weed flags, he added the the pink stripe um, for the transgender community and donated all of the proceeds to the pulse shooting victims. And um, I think that is just brilliant. And he's constantly telling people like, hey, if you feel unsafe, like get a pen or get our attention, we'll kick a fucker out. Like, I think that's super rad of him. It makes me feel way better about going to shows. And even like a uh, case when we saw Antarctica Vespucci, um, a year or two ago now? Uh, close um, to two years, which seems impossible. but Close to two years year, ago. Yeah. yeah, in October. Um, we, or there was some dude that was like kind of creeping on me at school, and he was going to the show, and I had messaged Chris, and Chris helped me stay away from him. And honestly, I'm so grateful for that. And like, obviously, Jeff had a hand in that too like i don't know there's something about jeff not to cut you off there but there's something about jeff i've seen him both as an article vespucci and as a solo artist and you know it's a it blows my mind that there can be issues at shows like just be there and like the music and don't touch anybody it's it's weird that that still has to be said I will very likely never be the target of any harassment at a Jeff Rosenstock show, which is, I'm not saying that braggadociously at all, but Jeff Rosenstock creates an environment to where if I do see an issue occurring, I Mm -hmm. know there is going to be a team of people around me that are going to be on my page and are going to enforce justice in the best way possible. Absolutely. He's he's covering every spectrum he needs to, and it's just very nice to have a voice and to have a figure in the scene that in a weird way I can look up to it and I, I can know that Jeff Rosenstock is trying to lead the most morally correct life he can and mm-hmm. I'm all about it yeah absolutely and like it goes back to when we were talking about how he makes music accessible for everyone um, staying or keeping his music free or cheap and keeping his shows cheap in all ages like it's like that for all of the different communities that are usually not paid attention to like the gay community people like uh, 
you know what I'm trying to say. Like I he just makes sure, yeah, <laughs> he makes sure that everyone is involved and everyone can have fun. That's just something I I really look up to him for. is 80s through the 50s the line in this song that continues to jump out at me is simply breezes make me think of you oh absolutely i was gonna say the same thing it's so painful i just it just cuts through me like a knife every time i hear it because it is it is the simple things in life that can remind us of our greatest pains and breezes make me think of you so simply is just a painful reminder of that. Absolutely. Uh, puts the simp in simple. <laughs> There's <laughs> something that I'm very impressed with when we, when we go back to the idea of these all being home recordings. And I think you had touched on the little bit with the trash as almost the sort of doo sound, or at least there are elements to it. And dishes is just so far off from the normal Jeff Cannon 80s mm-hmm. through the 50s, and maybe I'm dumb and I just don't know what 80s through the 50s is supposed to mean, but there is sort of a a classic like rock and roll, like a 50s rock and roll sort of feel to the song that is so drastically different from the ska punk and the emo influence that I typically associate with Jeff Rosenstock. It goes back to this idea of, I think, Jeff, way more so than most people in the scene, just being really musically advanced and being able to try different things that whether people are afraid to try them or it's just not on the radar, Jeff will go there and it, it makes everything he puts out a must listen because I never know what I'm going to get from him. Absolutely. Absolutely. And like looking at, I don't know, some of the playlists that he makes on Spotify and whatever that he puts out every once in a while, or like the album influences, it's all like every song is completely different. And like that, you can hear it in all of his albums. Like nothing sounds the same, but like it's all Jeff Rosenstock. And there's so much influence from like every genre that is apparent in everything. But like you can still tell it's him because he has these motifs that he use or uses. He's got the sound that he likes for his guitars, like the arrangements. Like I don't know, he's just so consistent in his sound, but he's also so versatile with his influence, and that just changes everything, I think. Maybe more so than anybody on this podcast that I've talked about, I have more good things to say about Jeff and his music and his character, (laughs) and so it's weird to not, you know, at least we're, you know, a little over halfway through the album now, and I haven't really made any critical comments i mean i've analyzed the album to the best of my ability but when you look at the run jeff rosenstock had this past decade starting with that last bomb the music industry album the anartigo vespucci stuff we cool worry post it just and then you think about all the stuff that he helped produce or that he produced as well i mean he was my artist of the decade and Mm -hmm. kind of a, a a runaway victory just because nobody seemed to make the the impression on me 
that Jeff Rosenstock did. Jeff was one of the few guys from this scene. I felt like it was him and the hotelier, and I guess if you want to count turnover, maybe, that like made uh, uh, broke barriers and crossed over into something new. I mean, Jeff played the Pitchfork Festival, which mm-hmm. the idea of a guy from oh, the music industry man. Oh, man. Like, Pitchfork <laughs> Festival is insane. And, and Jeff was so self-aware. I mean, the song Festival song is just about those sorts of things. And then you watch Jeff's Pitchfork set, which if oh, you haven't, man. I highly recommend <laughs> it. Like, so Jeff is aware of that he's now living in a space that, you know, the more offers he accepts and the bigger places he plays – People could look at his messages as possibly being hypocritical, but I I give Jeff the benefit of the doubt. I think he's very self-aware of this, and Jeff is someone that I really relate to in his business approach of of maybe putting himself in situations that might might look shady or might feel a little corporate for the Rosenstock entity that he is, but mm-hmm. Jeff is going to be self-aware and he's going to be able to to make that situation his own. And I I I'm just fascinated by the way he operates. And I think a song like Little Blue Pills, which is what follows, is mm-hmm. the the closest thing we have to the Jeff Rosenstock sound that we would go on to hear. I think Little Blue Pills would fit in on We Cool if it was placed on that album. Little blue pills, bottles of Cody Lion on the shelf at dawn. Am I far off on that assessment or do you slightly agree? Oh, I agree with you. And also, I want to bring up something that me and my dad talk about all the time is that if Jeff were to release a record on a major label, he would have been top of the charts by now. I but once he... told, yeah, I once told my dad Jeff Rosenstock should be every bit as big as Green Day, but he's oh, too, yeah. he's too aware and just moral to, to mm-hmm. do that, to, to sign yeah. with a major label like... You know, again, I if I was a programming director on an, on, an, on an alternative station, I would be going, oh, well, let's just make Jeff Rosenstock the face of everything. But one, I'm not because the radio industry is not looking for that at all. But also, like, does Jeff want to be playing shows that are sponsored by Coors Light and Banks? Like, no, he no, hell no. doesn't. But he has every bit as much talent as any band that is headlining whatever festival is being played on drive time radio, whatever it is. It's just Jeff Rosenstock has chosen a different and arguably more noble path. Absolutely. He's got the talent. He's got ethics beyond belief. And he's just incredible. I think, I don't know. He's just the best. <laughs> the Jeff Rosenstock Love Fest is almost over, I promise. But, but let's talk about Little Blue Pills a little bit. Where do you little stand Blue on this Pills. song? I love it. I think it's like, it's pretty short, but it's a bop. Um, I think this is maybe my least favorite on the album, but that's not saying much because it's one of my favorite albums of all time. So, like, I think you're right that it does sound like the future Jeff stuff and, like, it's... A, just a classic Jeff Rosenstock song, but I don't know. It's really great, but it's probably my least favorite on the album. If I that think makes, a, no, I think yeah. it's a fair assessment. There's nothing wrong with that. It's your least favorite. This next track, The Internet is Everywhere, is maybe my favorite. 
favorite on the album. I want you to know I'm glad you're not dead. All the hate in my heart has got out of my head. It took me some time, but I understand that I made enemies when I should have stayed friends. All I could think, because this is the one Jeff thing, specifically Jeff, there's Bond the Music Industry albums that I know, but I don't know super well. I know all the Anartigo stuff, and I love all the Anartigo stuff. And then mm-hmm. the the official studio albums that Jeff has put out by himself, I I worship. I was a little unfamiliar with some of the tracks on "I Look Like Shit." I knew '80s through the '50s. I knew "Bonish Oceans." The trash, the trash, the trash is another one that I was a big fan of. The Internet is Everywhere is a song that I I know I've heard at some point just because it's Jeff, but it was. One that I wasn't totally familiar with until I sat down to listen to it for this podcast. And all I could think about as I was as I was listening to it was if I would have known about this song in high school, this mm-hmm. would have been my shit. Yeah. It's the the most stripped down song in the album. It's, you know, Jeff and an acoustic guitar. Mm-hmm. It's it's a it's a demo. I mean that's just what that's what it is. And when I was in high school, I was listening to so much AJJ. I was very into anything folk punk. I was just looking back at some playlists I made back in high school, and there's a ton of Jeffrey Lewis on those playlists. Which, oh hell yeah! Like I really oh like hell Jeffrey yeah, Lewis. But I was who does it? I was like, shit. There's a lot of Jeffrey Lewis on these playlists. Like, it, was, it, it was something that I wasn't. I didn't remember being that into him, but I guess I Jeffrey was. Lewis and Jeff Rosenstock collab. We can call it J two. I don't even know. I need that. I yeah, want that. Let's push I, I for that. I'm very open to that. So all I could think was like, this song is sonically exactly what I was listening to in high school. And then mm-hmm. lyrically, it just it just hits me like a ton of bricks, specifically, oh, you know, devastating. show me a person who always feels fine and I'll show you a lying sack of shit. I mean, if that's not a Jeff Rosenstock lyric, that's going into a ramshackle glory song or something. I mean, oh, this yeah. feels like folk punk personified and I am all sure. about the internet is everywhere. This song was, this is pretty telling of me as a person, but this song is what got me through being in a psych ward and I will stand by that forever. I think that is probably the best <laughs> praise you can give a song is that if it can if it can help pull you out of whatever emotional depths you are in, if you're falling that low, to have a song that can help bring you up in any ways. I mean that is that is why this podcast ultimately exists is mm-hmm. not to not to gatekeep, but rather the opposite. I just want sounds that have helped people or have made an impact on people. I want those out there in some way because if I can give someone a song that can help them through a tough time I feel like I've, in a weird way, done my job as a human. Uh, some, pe- some people go to medical school and help people <laughs> with medicine. I sit here and talk about Jeff Rosenstock. I'm not saying one is more valuable than the other. It's just the life choices we all make. But the Absolutely. internet is everywhere really stuck out to me. as like, wow, this is, this is really powerful. 100%. And I'm totally with you. Like, I would rather give someone like the benefit of feeling unified with Jeff Rosenstock and feeling like they're not alone than like going to medical school or med- excuse me, medical school and wasting a million dollars and 
having to see people's guts all the time. Like, it's going to be tough to get in if you can't even say it. So if you play, yeah, exactly. Or I but I can say Jeff saying. Rosenstock. I can say Bonus Oceans. So oh, look at you, Bonus Oceans is what's <laughs> up next. If you don't die young, you're going to live too long is a powerful, powerful chorus as Jeff Rosenstock continues to battle morality on this collection of home recordings. Isaac, Bonus Oceans, how are we feeling about this one? This is one of the songs that can, like, just punch me in the stomach and leave me there to die. Like, I don't know how else to explain it. It's just such a brilliant song. It starts off with that little, like that little, I think it's a Wurlitzer. I don't know. It's just such a beautiful song, but lyrically, it's a punch in the face. It seems to be Jeff's favorite from the album. I think this, more than any of these, have have been brought into his live sets the most. It's mm-hmm. probably either this or Twinkle, but you know, I know I, I heard Bonus Oceans live when I saw Jeff, and it was it was a wonderful experience. This feels very representative of him, and at least what I know about him at this stage in his life, because he talks about in the Bomb the Music Industry documentary about their last show and just the history of the band. Jeff says, you know, I always assumed I would be dead by 30 and now I'm not. So I have to figure out what the next 10 years of my life are going to be. And, Mm -hmm. you know, there's, there's something, whether it's right or wrong and whether we as consumers glorify it too much, I do not know, but there's a certain romanticism in dying young. If you're an artist and wondering what could have been, you know, I always say if, if the Smiths had ended in 1987 because Morrissey died instead of the band just breaking up, like you'd be able to buy a Smiths t-shirt in Target. It would be next to the mm-hmm. Pink Floyd shirt and the Beatles <laughs> shirt and whatever else. Like I, I, Their Nirvana I, shirt. It's the, exactly, the, the Nirvana 27 shirt. Club type of deal. Exactly. It, you know, it, it's not that Nirvana wasn't a transcendent band and literally changed the way we perceive music, but... If if we were having fat Kurt Cobain and, you know, these albums, I mean, it's, you know, it's the Pearl Jam theory, you know, Pearl Jam is mm-hmm. the biggest band in the world, but Nirvana's legacy will always outlive Pearl Jam because we have sure. to deal with 20 years of really shitty Pearl Jam albums. Mm-hmm. Jeff Rosenstock, you know, thank God he's still here and making music. But it does feel like, you know, bomb the music industry would be perceived differently if we never got the Jeff solo career and we just had whatever was left. You know, we just had maybe this collection of home recordings of what was to come. It seems like Jeff Rosenstock would be would be mythologized so much more. But I am in trying to be more and more aware of recognizing greatness in the moment, whether that be in sports or music or just in humanity and trying to give credit where credit is due. And -hmm. I think that's part of the reason I've attached myself to Jeff Rosenstock so much is that we're witnessing something really great right now. Absolutely. And that's part of why I've had such a, such a strong faith in Jeff Rosenstock and also bands like Dogleg and Mover Shaker and all the bands that I've been pushing on everyone for the last however many years. Like, this whole scene is just so full of potential and Jeff Rosenstock is just the pinnacle of that glory 
you know? Like, I feel like in 20 years, some kid is going to pick up a Jeff Rosenstock record and be like, holy shit, this is, where has this been my whole life, you know? Like, it's, it's like Henry Rollins walking around and giving homeless kids tape, like, punk mixtapes. Like, that's how I felt when I was listening to Jeff Rosenstock for the first time. Like, like, where was this? Where has he been, you know? For sure. Whatever feeling I had listening to a band like Minor Threat or a band like AJJ for the first time, it will eventually be that for, you know, the Jeff Rosenstocks and the modern baseballs of the world. It will be, it will be, I, in a weird romanticized sense, like, I do wonder when I'm in my 40s, what are the 16-year-olds going to be listening to and what music from this scene stands the test of time, if any? Now, part of that is we have to archive our work. We have to own our music because streaming mm-hmm. is not forever. That is just yeah. my own personal <laughs> fear that I have because you do not own what you stream and that should make you very, very nervous. Uh, but I digress as we move into track nine, which is Amen. And what's the difference A, sl- oh. a slower, I don't want to say ballady, but it's just, it feels a little bit different on this album. But given the automatopoeia you just gave into your microphone, it seems like you're a big fan <laughs> of this. Yeah, this is another one. I mean, this whole album, y'all know it's my one of my favorites. Like, this one is also a heavy hitter. Um, I think just the message of hating landlords is very important to uh, send out to everyone. But, like, you know... <laughs> I'll let you talk about this one first. I, I like it. It is uh, it, probably in the same vein that you feel about Little Blue Pills. I probably feel about Amen, where it's there, it's on the album. I like it. I'm probably mm-hmm. not going to skip it, but I'm not necessarily rushing to listen to this track. Yeah, for sure. I think there have been a few times where I've wanted to listen to this like on purpose, like on repeat. And it's mostly because I think like the way that the swinging rhythm sounds. I just think it's very unlike Jeff and it's just a really chill thing. And the way that he sings so passionately is very powerful over this, um, this swing. It's great. And then talking about um, like not knowing what happens when you die is obviously a very big thing to talk about. And it hits very personally, especially right now. And like, it's just, it's one of those ones that, like, kind of um, just hits, especially when you're having, like, a gloomy day and you're thinking a lot about, like, the afterlife or whatever as it as you do when you're an art student. And, like, I, this is definitely one that, like, feels like a bad day, but it's comfort in a bad day, if that makes sense. I don't know how people go about their lives not constantly thinking about their own morality and thinking about <laughs> their life. I mean, that was legitimately an appealing thing to me, especially just to mention them again, but like AJJ was mm-hmm. singing so graphically about what the afterlife is and what they think it is. And that just were topics that hadn't really been exposed to me at that point in my life. And then 
I, you know, I think if anything from the scene stands out that that is not Jeff specific in terms of Afterlife, the the La Dispute song King Park, which is you know. Mm-hmm realistic i guess historical fiction uh but ends with can i still get into heaven if i kill myself i mean the first time i heard that i i I remember where i was and just like i i didn't know that was coming it was the first time i had sat down and listened to wildlife all the way through and it's it's a really heavy listen before you get to that and then there's this seven minute song that's just sitting there and building and building and building and then it explodes into that and it, I mean, it took my breath away. I mean, I had never heard, in a in a way, such a vulgar explanation of examining mm-hmm. the afterlife, and I, I was Absolutely. stunned by it. And Amen is not further off in that, but Jeff is able well, to flip things. <laughs> yeah, Jeff is able to flip <laughs> things as we end the album with a song called "I Don't Want to Die," which is a Gangnang Boys cover. <laughs> Our gang name boys are from Yamanobi and the Yamagata Prefecture in Japan. Uh, they seem like an out-of-control band from everything I've read. My limited knowledge of the punk scene in Japan leads me to believe that every single band that exists there is out of their minds. And this song is no different. This song is insane to me. This song, I don't speak Japanese, but I can fucking feel it in my bones. It's, um... It's incredible. I don't even know what else to say about it. Like, yeah, I I've listened to this on repeat so many times. I'm surprised that this isn't in my top 10 Spotify songs of all time. Honestly, like one of the only words I understand is Weezer. And I'm like, fuck, yeah, indeed. So a (laughs) translation of this song, there's there's a few lines in here that go. I want to eat almond tofu with pure and sweet you. I want to listen to Weezer with Pure and Sweet You. I want to throw Ninja Stars with Pure and Sweet You. Pure and Sweet You hail from a lineage of sorcerers. And if that's not romanticism in the 21st century, I do not know what is, because I just want to listen to Weezer and, and throw Ninja Stars with yeah. with a lady sorcerer. I think that would be mm-hmm. incredibly nice for my own well-being. Absolutely. If that's not a love song, I don't know what is. <laughs> It's a, a nice end of the album. I mean, it's it's chaotic and explosive, and it's out of control. But at the end of the day, it's a Jeff Rosenstock album. If you don't get that on at least one of those songs, you know, it's it's not a Jeff Rosenstock album. It's the opposite of you might be a redneck. Well, it might be a Jeff Rosenstock <laughs> album if things go completely batshit crazy at some point. And even if it's a cover, we get that here. I think it's a fitting way to end the album. Are you on the same page there? 100%. That's what I like to hear. I like when we agree with each other. So we hit. We usually do. <laughs> we usually do. We hit the end of the album here. I look like shit. It's 10 songs in 37 minutes. I have to know, and I didn't ask you this before we started recording. I didn't ask you this at the top of the show, but we've spent so much time talking about the other Jeff projects, whether it be Anartigo Vespucci, The Greatness of Worry, What Came Later with Post. Why is this the Jeff Rosenstock album that <laughs> sticks out to you? For me, I think it's honestly just, like, when it came to me, it was just such a very raw time in my life, and I just, uh, I don't know, I just 
think that these ones are the most personal to me. Like these songs are the most personal to me and they hit different for me. And I, I'm someone who loves demos and I'm someone who loves like unreleased content because uh, I'm pretentious and I go to art school and I, um, I don't know. I just think that this is such an honest album and I love it a lot more than, uh, I guess, I guess more than I love the rest of his discography. Um, but it's still, I don't know. I love the rest a lot, but this one just hits a little bit harder and in a more emotional place. So put yourself back in your position when you first heard this album and think about that as I ask you this next question of Jeff Rosenstock's I Look Like Shit. Who needs to hear this album and why? Oh, man. Um, someone who is going through the ringer and wants to equally needs to have a good time and feel like they're not the only person who is sad, I guess. So really right now in the current standing of the world, I think everyone should listen to this. I think that would be but. a fine plan to sit here one <laughs> afternoon and just put on put on any Jeff Rosenstock album, but start with I Look Like Shit, sit uh-huh. on the floor, let it trample you, let it stomp all over you, put you into an emotional puddle, and then 100%. from there... You can you can rebuild yourself up, but I think you have to be beaten down a little bit to really conquer life. And mm-hmm. a good starting point is I look like shit. Isaac, what do you have to plug? Um, hmm. I am actually on a compilation album with Jeff himself. Uh, thank you to Augusta Koch for making that happen. She was mentioned in the bonus episode uh, with Same. Uh, shout out yes, to those guys yes, as well. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's called Don't Stop Now 3. All of the proceeds go to the um, workers. Hold on. Brain fart. And uh, um, holy shit. <laughs> I, I can't. I'm trying to Google as fast as I can to help. Yeah, here, but I know. <laughs> <laughs> even I am going a little bit slow. The Don't um, Stop Now compilation, Don't Stop Now 3, a collection yes. of covers and more. Undocumented I, workers. There we Undocumented go. worker fund. Um, it's 44 songs. Uh, I'm number six. Uh I don't know how that happened. I'm covering Exegetic Chains by the Mountain Goats, and there are a bunch of amazing artists on here. Um, even if you can't donate, um, it's free, and it's super awesome. There's a nice Bob Nana track second on there. There's Spraynard, there's Brian Fallon, Gladdy, just so many amazing artists. Max Stern, Jake Stern's brother, um, Thin Lips, just so many great musicians how did this. you land on that song as the one you wanted to cover oh man um well the mountain goats had just released this song and um it's the only song well another telling uh, aspect my mom just passed away uh and this was kind of the only song that i could listen to for about a week or so and in during that week um, Augusta had emailed me uh, the specs for this album, and I was like, all right, easy choice, because everyone in the scene loves the Mountain Goats. I love the Mountain Goats. This song is very personal. 
Um, it's a callback to my now second favorite Mountain Goat song, which is this year. And I just, it just felt perfect to me. Um, well, congratulations, yeah. Isaac, on now <laughs> being in the six degrees of Jeff Rosenstock, as Jeff is also on this compilation. He, as well as Stephen Babcock from the band Pup, cover Bell and Sebastian's Fox in the Snow, which, other than Isaac's track, is my favorite on the <laughs> album. I think, uh, you know, your song and Jeff's, I like what Harmony Woods did a lot. Uh, there's there's so many great things to listen to. Please check it out on Bandcamp. It is Don't Stop Now 3, a collection of covers and more. Other than that, where can people find you if you want people to find you? Is there anything else you need people to know? Um, my Well, my Twitter is L-I-Z-Z-I-E underscore 4041. It's Lizzie4041. Uh, my Instagram is Swinger. Um same spelling you can figure out the rest um honestly there's not much that i want people to know besides just wash your fucking hands uh be nice to each other tell your friends that you love them and just don't go outside A powerful message at the end of this program. You can find me on both Twitter and Instagram at underscore case low, C-A-S-E-L-O-W-E. And you can find the podcast itself at Art School Albums on Instagram. I want to thank Isaac for joining me on the Art School Albums podcast. This has been the episode dedicated to Jeff Rosenstock's I Look Like Shit. Hell yeah.